0: Father, would you open our ears to hear, our eyes to see. We would present to you soft hearts. When you speak to us, Lord, and we know it's you, we will follow. We will obey. Lord Jesus, you're our teacher. You are our risen Lord. It's you we want to become like. Show us you. And may I get out of the way, Lord, and let let us see our beloved Lord. We pray that and pray for grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is um, in somewhere in the city of Jerusalem. We're, we're on Passover night. Uh, by Within a, a couple of hours, he's going to be arrested. This is just the last hours of the evening uh, before he goes across the Kidron Valley, prays for an hour uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas arrives with the Levitical guard uh, to arrest him. Uh, but he's taken his disciples, 11 of them, because Judas has gone to betray him. Uh, he's taken them out of the upper room where Judas would have known to come with, the, with those soldiers. And he's, he's out hiding somewhere, as it were. He's, he's probably you know, there on the east side of Jerusalem, probably outside the city. It's full moon, it's Passover. And these 11 men are huddled somewhere. I think there's a grapevine near, and we just saw that him talk about that. Uh, but he's talking to them, and he's, what you're going to hear right now is he's preparing them for what's to come. And he's preparing them for persecution. And then he'll give them a wonderful promise. Here we go. Verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Isn't that a profound statement? The real issue is they don't know the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. Now, he doesn't mean they would be sin- sinless uh, innocents. He's saying they would not have on their record the fact that they deliberately rejected the Messiah, uh, the great sin of rejection. This, this is basically, seal, you know, apart from a profound repentance but it seals their doom. They would not have sinned, but they have no excuse for their sin. Now, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And he's going back to the passages in the Bible and the Psalms, and Isaiah has a good deal of it, in which uh, the righteous are, are persecuted by those, listen, who are religious but false. Yeah, it doesn't just say the people, atheists. It actually says those who are going into the temple and making all of these offerings and then having this secret life of of worshiping idols and other things, they hate those who really love God. You'll find, oddly enough, your worst enemies are not atheists. Your worst enemies will be people who are outwardly religious, uh, who, who have a form of it, but hate your passion and hate the dedication. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon, but you will run into it. I, I, I would be surprised if you didn't. And then he says this, and this is, I'm going to have you read this. I'll read it, verse 26, and then I'll have you read it with me. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Would you read that out loud? When the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father. That is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. And let's read verse 27 together. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. There is a great difference between being informed and conformed. Being informed means to receive knowledge. Our minds learn something we didn't know. But to be conformed involves being changed from one thing into another. It's what happens to a lump of clay when it's pushed into a mold. It takes on an entirely different appearance. One that was determined by someone else. First the clay has to be moistened with water. Then it's kneaded until it becomes soft and pliable. And finally it's pressed into a mold, and allowed allowed to harden until it retains the image, even after the mold is removed. That word conformed has that kind of thought to it. Uh, Have you ever seen, have you worked with clay? Uh, If you haven't worked with clay, some of you may have worked with dough, uh, because the same process of kneading that dough goes on, you know. You put the stuff in it, and you pound it, and beat it, and throw it on the thing, and I've, I've watched my wife go, doo, 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 you know, even, even hit the thing. And, but you, you're, you're, you're making it pliable and soft and you're mixing it. You're getting it so it, so it can be pushed into a mold. So, so it'll take that form. Or you could, you're making a, 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 a dish or something out of it. But you're making it pliable like that. It's being conformed into an image. God's plan for each of us is not only to inform us, but to conform us until we become like Jesus. Listen, and would you read this out loud with me? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Those whom he foreknew. Here's what, here's what Paul just said. That's in Romans 8. Paul Paul says he looks, he looks forward, God before he, I think before he made the worlds, he knew what would happen. He knew everything. He knew he would create Adam and Eve. He knew he would give them a choice. He knew they would choose badly and that the human race would rebel. He, he saw all of this. He knew he would send his son to redeem. And he knew that his son would pay for the sins of the entire human race who and so that those who beforehand maybe didn't know Jesus' name, who had repented and believed in his mercy and called on the true and living God, would be given grace and mercy and righteousness. He knew that those following his son who would, who would, who would repent and would believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved and would be given the righteousness of Christ. He knew that he would have, how many? I don't know, billions? I think right now on planet Earth, if you would just say how many people are Christians on planet Earth, out of seven billion some people, there are, what, uh, two billion that would call themselves Christians? We don't know their, their real heart, we don't know their real passion. But many of those are, many of those are. So you've got, how many billions did the Father look forward in time and say, look at all those people who will become mine? He did not pick who would, he saw who would. Did you follow that? And what he, when he saw them all, he, the heavenly father said, this is my, my, my command. Paul says he predestined. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined, the word means to uh, draw a, a boundary around something. That's what the word means. And so he drew a boundary around us, and he said, here's what you're going to look like. Here's my, my command. You who come to me through Faith, repentance and faith, and that my son has redeemed, you are going to become just like my son. Now, what he means is he he wanted a he God in his great love wants a huge family. He doesn't need us. In fact, we've been a great pest, to be honest with you. It's been way more trouble than than anything else. But he, in his great love, he loves his son. It's not like he was lonely. There's nothing like that. But he's a lover. And he says, I want to love more. I want a big household. And so he's, he said, what I'm going to do is I am going to give my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to form them into the image of my son. And what he means is, not that you, we all become some uniform thing. Because he loves diversity. He loves all of the beauty and, and differentness of our personalities and our giftings. He causes that difference. I mean, he's, he, he can't make two snowflakes alike. I mean, he just doesn't like sameness, so uh, that, that's not the issue. But what he wants is the character of Christ. He wants that purity. He wants that faithfulness. He wants the kindness. He wants—he's going to form our hearts until we're as good as Jesus. And then it's not only there; we actually, ultimately, are going to look like Him in this sense. We will shine with the glory of God. We are—you remember—know how the resurrected Jesus shines. He's in his resurrected glory. You will too. You will too. Paul, when he saw Jesus, was literally blinded by it. And we are going to be resurrected in his image. So the day will come when you're going to shine like the sun. In my opinion, I think Adam and Eve did before the fall. I think that's why when that left, they knew they were naked. God always comes back to his original plan. And his original plan is for sons and daughters. He wants children who love him and who are like him. and So he saw this all that would happen, and he says, here's what I predestine. Here's what I command. Here's what I decide. You will become like my beloved son. He'll be the oldest uh, member of the family. He's the oldest son. He's the lead of a whole new family of my children. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Paul said is, is God's ultimate plan. I don't think there's a better statement of God's plan in, in the Bible. There's other ones, but that's a beauty. That means before God made the world, he knew those who would become righteous by faith. That means he knew your name and mine long before we were born and decided way back then what kind of person we would become. He des- his desire was to form a great family made up of people whose character and even glory was like that of his only begotten son. That means he predestined us to become morally pure, selfless, faithful, Bold and full of the Holy Spirit. Like that lump of clay, he intends to press each one of us into the mold of his son. And you'll notice that he doesn't ask our opinion or seek our permission. Though it's true, we can resist the process until it becomes very painful and takes a long time. But we can't change the outcome. Not if we're his children. And frankly, who would want to? Is there anyone you'd like more to be like? Do you really like the old you? Neither do we. (laughs) But when you are in the spirit, when you're full of that heart of Jesus, we love you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. That's the point. That's what we're being formed into. We are all being formed into men and women who have that that fullness of the spirit, that heart of the Lord, and for whom this flesh does not dominate us. Hallelujah. Who would want the other? He won't change the unique way he's designed us. He loves variety and places it in everything he creates. But when it comes to our character... And the direction of our lives, there is only one mold, his beloved son. At that moment, somewhere in Jerusalem on Passover night, as Jesus was speaking to his disciples, that group of men did not look like a fearless band of missionaries about to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Not one of them was bold enough to stir up all the persecution Jesus was warning about. Think of this. He's sitting there talking to this group of men, huddled in the moonlight, going, you are going to be so awesome. You are going to be bold out there. You're going to represent me so perfectly. They're going to hate you just like they hate me. Come on. You know, and all... What did he see? What did he see? What was in his mind? Because what's in front of him... Isn't what he's talking about. They looked like 11 frightened people wondering what was going to happen to them if Jesus really left them as he said he would. But Jesus was able to look beyond that moment. He saw the change that would take place in them after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So he confidently assured them when the helper comes, the paraclete, that that word helper is so weak, but all of them are compared. The the word means the one who comes and stands beside you when when you're in in trouble, you know, on a battlefield or in a courtroom or wherever you are, the one who comes and stands and, and, and fights with you or intercedes for you. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from beside the father, this is the literal translation, the spirit of truth who comes from beside the father, That one will bear witness about me. And then he added this. And you will also bear witness that you have been with me from the beginning. You will bear witness. So he was was so sure that they would boldly go out and tell the world about him. that That he knew that they would bring upon themselves the persecution he had been describing. Why could he be so sure? He knew the plan. The Father had predestined them to be conformed into His image. That's why He would send the Spirit of truth. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Would you say that phrase, Spirit of truth? In a biblical context, the word truth is not a philosophical word. It's it's practical. It describes those who faithfully keep the promises that were made in a covenant. Now, did you? Uh, you got to really adjust your thinking here, because when you and I talk about truth, we often think you know this this uh, data which has no mistakes in it, or or uh, you know information that's not that's completely accurate. So we got we get very philosophical. Pilate would say to to Jesus, "What is truth?" You know, that, that kind of thing. We're very philosophical, oh, let's discuss truth. Uh, that's not a biblical concept. When it, if you look at it, you, know, you go back in the Old Testament, you watch where that word truth is used. It's always associated with a covenant. It's, it always means people who keep their promise. And a God is a God of truth because he keeps his promise. What he covenanted to do, and a covenant is a solemn, uh, solemn oath. What he covenants to do, he will do. But people who are true, what they covenant to obey God and walk in his righteousness and be like him, they are people of truth. We still have a bit of that lingering in the English language when we say he is true to his word. You follow that? He's true to his word. That's, the, that's what truth means. So Jesus, when he introduces himself, he says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the, I'm the one who fulfills the covenant. I'm the one who reflects the character of God. I am, I am faithful uh, to that which God has revealed. So truth has everything. It's a very practical word. God is true because he keeps his covenant promises and always acts in according with uh, his revealed character. People are true when they keep the promises they made to God and to one another. And when their character aligns with God's character. Let me insert this. You know, we think about what does the Bible want us to do? What does the New Testament want us to do? And people, We want us to do the miracles of God, want us to do the, those kinds of things, and it does. But I'm going to tell you, 80% of the, of the New Testament... Focuses on character development. Character development. The the most important miracle of all isn't did you heal somebody or raise them from the dead. The most important miracle of all is the changing of the human heart. And isn't that true? What What do people look for when you say, I'm a Christian now? What do they look for? Are you honest? Are you kind now? Are you stopped being so selfish? Do you think about us? Can we trust you? In other words, when you tell us something, is it the truth or are you a liar? That's what they're looking for. And when that stuff changes, when that character changes, when that heart comes into alignment like that, whether you've done a miracle, whether you've raised the dead or not, we're so watching you. You're the real thing. You follow what I'm saying? The miracle above all that really matters. The miracle above all that makes people want to have what you have. Isn't your power? It's your character. Amen. Have you become kind, reliable, faithful, and true? You become like Jesus, because boy, when you have, uh, you, we we are really interested in what you have. So Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth, because the Spirit's assignment is to indwell Jesus' disciples and to enable us to do truth. Now, if you if you remember remember John three, you remember the wonderful passage. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, etc. Well, it goes on, and it goes on, and it starts saying that there's those who uh, hate the light. In other words, when they see the truth, when they see the, the true character and revelation of God, they run away from it. But he says he says they hate the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. And then this is King James. Sorry, and then when it comes to the next verse, it says, "But he that he that." doeth truth. That's what the King James says and that's what the Greek says. He that doeth truth, what? Has a heart to obey the covenant of God, the promises of God, the commands of God, the heart that kneels, the heart that's trusted and believed in the Lord. He that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds should be manifested, that they are wrought in God. They draw unto the light because the heart is integrous That means to obey God's commands, to keep our promises, and to have our character molded into Jesus' godly character. And Jesus says the Spirit will do this by testifying, bearing witness to us about him. When the Holy Spirit is at work, he will teach us and remind us of what Jesus did and said. He will testify to the truth about Jesus, and he will guide us back onto the path of becoming like him if we go astray. The Spirit's assignment. Jesus said he would ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be our helper, our paraclete. And on that final evening, he mentioned four different ways the Spirit conforms us into the image of Jesus. Let's try to understand each one. Number one, he will teach you. John 14, 26. Would you say he will, teach you"? he will teach you? Jesus said he will teach you all things. In other words, God has sent the Holy Spirit to, to, to us with the specific assignment of helping us understand the truths God revealed to us through his word and his son. The Spirit has not been given to us to satisfy our curiosities about things that don't matter. But when it comes to, the, to important truths, he very much wants to explain them to us at deeper and deeper levels. Let me stop. You'll have people who, uh, who get interested in studying, and they study stuff like this. They want to know, uh, you know, when is Jesus coming again? In fact, I mean, there's, there's, there's a constant cycle of books on that. I mean, when one, one guy proves he's wrong, you know, there's kind of a lull, and then somebody else writes a book who goes, aha, I know the date. You know, and boom, we got, now we got that. And so there's always somebody who's studying things like, when's Jesus coming again? Uh, even though Jesus said he didn't know. Uh, then you've got stuff on, uh, who's the Antichrist? I, I got asked recently. Uh, well, I actually, I, they, they thought they knew, and I said, no, that wasn't it. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so you've got people who are, their minds are spinning. But you'll notice it's on, it's on peripheral issues. If you want to, I'll tell you where the Holy Spirit will always take you. He'll take you deeper in the basics. He's going to take you so you, at a deeper and deeper level, understand what indeed is the salvation of God. What has he done? What has Christ done for us? Who is he? He's going to take you deeper into understanding him and seeing him. you go deep. And it's a lifetime. It's just the, the things of God are so profound. It's like peeling an onion. You think you got it and then he shows you more and he shows you more and he shows you more. He Takes you deeper into these things till they resonate in you and they just come out of you uh, in your language. They come out of you in your behavior. They're, they're, you, you don't have to think twice about them. It's a, see, as long as all I can do is mimic words... You know, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he, he, he died to justify us. You know, you can get some phraseology you were taught. As long as it's just that, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But when you do understand what he's done, Amen. when it's in you, mm-hmm. you can talk to your friend. You can talk to somebody on the bus. And, and, it, and, and you can explain things without using religious language at all. You can just, you can just bring it in in those natural ways and, and they get it because you get it. It's, it's in there. So God just takes you deeper and deeper and deeper. I remember as a young boy, actually, asking the Lord, I said, I want to know three things. I want to know why isn't everybody healed? Because my, my beloved aunt had died of, of cancer. And uh, she, she, she was, uh, belonged to the Lord, she'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. She died with enormous grace and peace. It was, it was stunning. But why did she die? I'm still working on that. Right, but but I, over the years, I learned more. But I don't have an answer to that. I asked the Lord, I want to understand salvation. What is it? How are we saved? What does it mean? I'm spending a lifetime on that. You're hearing me reflect today about it. What is, and then the third was, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because it had happened to me. What is that? What just happened to me? What, would you explain that to me? I'm still working on that it's a matter of just you it's a matter of these things where it takes you deeper and deeper in your understanding of these profound basic things you want to follow God he'll take you deeper in the basics when you and I read the word we can be absolutely sure God wants us to understand what we're reading did you hear what I'm saying if you, When you're reading a word, you can be absolutely sure God wants you to understand what you're reading. This was a book written by the Lord through intelligent people to intelligent people. It all means something. It is not a cryptic book of strange sayings. The, you, people will say, well, I don't, what is that? That's all strange. Well, it's strange to you because you don't know the culture. You don't know the language. And, and you... And believe me, what you and I say to one another is strange to other people who don't know the culture and don't know the language. Somebody comes up to you and says, chill out. Can you imagine coming from another culture? What? wants it to get cold? <laughs> well, you read Hebrew like that, and you go, well, uh, what does that mean? Trees cop their hands. Or you'll have people who say, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions. No, it only to the... Ignorant. I actually mean what I just said. I have spent a lifetime in this thing. And and I'm an honest man. And if I find one, I'll tell you. I will tell you something. I have yet to find one. I have yet to find one. In fact, I'll tell you what I've found. I have found a book that was written by Howie what is it, like 60 authors or something something like that over a course of how how many thousand years, has the most incredible consistency. The themes develop from page one to the last page. You watch things emerge, you watch things reflect with with an integration, a a, a literary integration that is just miraculous. It can't be done. It can't be done. It is God's book. It is a a miracle. So I want you to know something. When you open that, God wants you to understand what you're reading more than you do. But people often say, well, I don't understand. And you know what what it requires now? Work. You have to be willing to study. You You might have to learn a language or at least be able to work in it because it was written in Greek and Hebrew. So you might need to do something. If you really care, people come up going, how do I really know for sure? I said, take Greek wall well do you really want to know or not because i can tell you what i think but if you want to be know for sure you want to look at it with your own two eyes and why don't you do the study i'll show you how to do it i have a class i do and this i'm not just i'm not inviting you particularly um, <laughs> it's kind of by invitation to what i'm doing but I'm do, i mean, if, if somebody's passionate to preach I mean, you're going to preach. I'm not, I'm not interested in entertaining you. Um, but if you're going to preach, I will show you how to open this thing and say, what does it mean? What does it mean? To, what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? And so I, I, I put out in front of them uh, the interlinear. I photocopied. So you've got Greek, whether you know how to read it or not. Because that, I mean, we're doing 1 Corinthians right now, uh, 12, 13, and 14. We're right in the sweet spot of all that Pentecostal stuff. <laughs> And uh, so we're, go- we're going through it, we're, and, and so I'm showing them, and then how to do a word study. What does that word mean? And we just, we work it, and I don't, and then uh, what is, who's that, and why did he, you know, we put it all there, and then what does it mean? What's the eternal truth, and what does it mean to me? How does that work in our lives? And you begin to open up the word. Boy, this last time we took a passage that, that nobody understands. I've never heard it taught right, ever. And we, and we opened it up, took us back into Isaiah Took us back into Deuteronomy. We saw the the passage, saw what it meant, and then we opened it up and there's what it meant. And people are just going, my mind is blown. You can know what the word says. It is not a strange book. But you simply have to be willing to do the work. And if you're hungry to know, he will open it up to you and show you things that are absolutely beautiful. There are very few things he will hide from us. We have have become his children, and therefore it is his will that we learn to think like him. You understand? And understand spiritual matters. He's maturing you. He does not want you staying childlike or or, uh, unlearned. Paul described the, the process this way, and do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by what? The renewing of your minds. And the main way our minds are renewed is by having the Spirit explain to us what Jesus taught. In Jesus, we have the highest revelation of the nature and purpose of God. You're going to listen to anybody. You listen to him. When he speaks, we hear God speak. When he acts, we watch God act. You want to know what God's like? Watch Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit will always return our thoughts back to Jesus. He's the mold. He will remind you. Would you say that? He will you. John 14, 26. Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Years later, John wrote a letter in which he warned believers about false teachers. Listen to what he said. As for you, the anointing which you have received abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. What did John just say? He's talking to a group of people. I'll tell you what he's, what he's dealing with. He's talking to a group of people who are having who are being taught by false teachers that Jesus is not the divine son. And that he's just discussed that. He says, if you do if you if they distort. This, who Jesus is he says if they don't have the father and the son meaning the father and his divine son if they talk about Jesus as being an angel if they talk about him as being a prophet if they demean him and and he ceases to be the divine son who, who died for us he says they they are they actually calls them antichrists he calls that the antichrist and you may you look around there's still a lot of that garbage and so, and that's why he wrote, in my opinion, the Gospel of John to clarify this. And it's, and it, there it is in the in, in his in his letter. And he says to these people, because they're getting led down this 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 path, and they're starting to believe this stuff. He says, "Stop it! You have inside you the Spirit of Truth. God has given you the Spirit of Truth. He will he will he will confirm to you that which is true, that which we, which we've told you about Christ. You you listen to him." Don't you let these people take your mind and twist it and distort it. You listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying within you. That's, that's where, where the apostle's going. He wasn't saying the church has no need of godly teachers to help explain the word. He was one. But he was warning people to never give another human the final control over what you believe. May I say that again? Never give another human the final control over what you believe. He told them God has placed his spirit of truth within you, and he will confirm to you that which is true. When you hear the truth, you will recognize it, not necessarily because it makes logical sense to your brain, but because it aligns with something Jesus said, or I would add did. Number three, he will testify to you. Will you say that? John 15, 26, and 27, the Holy Spirit will not only explain and remind, Jesus said he will also testify about me, meaning he will actively confirm the truth about Jesus with signs following and or the awareness of his presence. When humans obey Jesus' commands, there will be a divine response. When humans faithfully proclaim Jesus, there will come divine presence and activity to prove that what, he's, what was said is accurate. This, is con- this confirmation can take many forms, but it means that if what we are doing or saying is true, one way or another, God will show up to indicate his approval. I have learned this, and then I, 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 I trust you have too. If you have a teacher, a Bible teacher, or a preacher, or somebody doing something, they, they may have all kinds of degrees. You can go into situations where they introduce, now here's so-and-so, and they, they have this introduction that just tells you how fabulous this individual is. You know, and they, they put them up on the stage, and boom, there they are. And you're listening, and you're thinking, boy, this, this, this guy's hot stuff. Here we go. And yet, as they talk, the room's cold. Your heart's cold. And, you think, and, and usually, where you go with is, man, what is wrong with me? Oh, Jesus, have I sinned? You know, my, I just, I'm not getting anything out of it. I, this is not, not oh Lord, be with me. Help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me. You know, and, and they're going on. Then there's no anointing there. If that is, particularly when it's, a, here's what I've learned. There's a reason. I've learned this the hard way and it's been a sad thing for me. People that I wanted so much, so much to believe in, so much to trust and follow. And that there was no anointing, and I never could quite figure it out. And I was trying to, trying to be excited, trying to follow them. I wanted to. I find in time, usually when the lid comes off, there's a reason. It can be a personal reason. It can be false doctrine. It can be just a lack of 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 a real commitment to the Lord. There's a reason when the anointing's not there. A person can be clumsy. A person can be uh, shy. They can be all kinds of things, but when there's integrity in their heart and when they speak the truth, there comes an anointing. You sense it. You go, your heart says, that's the Lord. That's beautiful. And you can listen through halting lips and you, and it makes, and you start crying because you see and sense the truth. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, I'm giving you permission in a sense. Trust that spirit of truth. He will bear witness to you. Listen to your Holy, the Holy Spirit. Don't just take your head and, and, and constantly shove that thing down going, uh, no, quiet. You know? When the Spirit warns you, you listen. He knows what he's talking about. He, all right, number four, he will guide you. Will you say that? He will guide you. John 16, 13. Here's a wonderful promise that captures uh, this idea of the Spirit guiding us into all truth. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord described how he would care for his people when the Messiah comes. He said, why don't you read this with me? This is beautiful. Your teacher will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Isaiah, in that passage, is looking forward to the coming Messiah. To the kingdom of God coming. And he says, when the kingdom comes, and when Messiah is with us, we will look upon our teacher and he will speak to us. And there will be a voice behind us. What's that? The Holy Spirit. And when we turn to the right or the left, and what that means is, in fact, Moses, Moses is the one who started that phrase. He says, if you turn your foot to the right or the left, off of the straight path. In other words, the, 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 the path of God following, in truth, his covenant, his commands, is a straight path. But if you begin to turn right or left off of his path, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it. He will never let us go astray without talking to us. He will pull us back. He will warn us. He will tell us. You may say, well, I've had seasons when I went off the track you didn't listen. If you knew God, you didn't listen. If you didn't know God, well, that's another matter. But if you knew him, if he was your Savior and Lord, if the Spirit's with you, then he did tell you. You say, well, that means I'm, I'm at fault. <laughs> there you go. We are, aren't we? Aren't we stubborn? Don't we get it in our heads? I do. I'm not going to just say it's not you. We all do that. But he, I'll tell you, I have a faithful Holy Spirit. So do you. And when I start turning aside, he will say, no, no, this is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. Isn't he lovely? By turning right or left, he means turning aside from the straight path of God's ways. There are many uh, tools the Spirit can use to guide us. There are gifts of the Spirit, such as the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, prophecy, or discernment. The gift of discernment helps us identify what is true or false. It alerts us to a lie. It shows us the spiritual source behind the situation or a teaching. Don't you love that? Have you, have you been listening or you've been in a situation and suddenly, suddenly you say, that, that person's lying to me. You don't know how you know. You just know. Bless his heart. The Spirit can produce us in us an inner grieving. Oh, can he ever. Uh, of the conscience. When we do or about to do. It's the about to do's that really bother me. It's usually when I'm about to say something stupid. And I'll get this prompting. Don't say it. And I got to tell you, not, probably the majority of the time I say it anyway. <laughs> and then I feel horrible. And then I have to always apologize. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, anyway. What's wrong? Uh, he, the conscience, when we do or say about what, what's wrong, or he may encourage uh, us to, may encourage to do what's right if we are wavering. At times, he'll point out a verse of Scripture and show us how it applies to us. And sometimes he uses what you might call living parables. He suddenly speaks to us in the moment through something we see or hear. And that often stirs an immediate conversation with the Lord. And the memory of it may linger in us for many years. You're walking along a beach and you see something. And the Lord starts talking to you about something in your life from that object or that situation you see. Have you had this? I think of course you have. It's just uh, it's just a beautiful part of things. He's he's told me such important things uh, uh, out maybe in the garden, maybe in maybe maybe out on a walk, maybe in a in a in a, in a moment. I se- suddenly he's I'm driving along. I see something and he starts talking to me through it. Living parables where the Holy Spirit begins to teach us. However, he guides us. We are promised that he will always be working from within us to lead us into all truth. We will never be alone. The spirit of truth will be within us to correct us, encourage us, confirm truth or expose a lie, speak to us through his supernatural gifts, or whisper to us in a still, small voice. He will always be pressing us like clay into the image of Jesus Christ. How do I receive the spirit of truth? When Jesus spoke of the spirit of truth, he always promised his disciples that they would receive a powerful indwelling that would change them. That promise arrived on the day of Pentecost. Jesus called it a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And after it happened to him, Peter stood up and invited everyone who believed in Jesus to receive that same blessing. He said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We baptized 18 people last night. Hallelujah. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise is for you, listen to the next phrase, and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. He saw us. Peter saw us. It wasn't only those 11 frightened men who needed the spirit of truth. We all need him. Not as a vague theological truth but as a powerful active presence dwelling within us. God wants every one of his children to have this gift. He clearly promised that he will give this baptism with the Holy Spirit to every person, young or old, who comes to him through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. But there is also a human side to this process. God will give the Spirit But we must receive him. He won't force himself upon us. We must invite him to take up residence within us. And when he does. He sets right back back to work. Conforming us into the image of God's beloved son. Jesus. Would you stand with me? If you heard what I just said. This we often think of the Holy Spirit as a vague something that when you receive Jesus, you get him. The Bible says so. But I'm not talking about a theological truth. One of the things I have learned, I, I, and you, I told you, I've been asking Jesus about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit since I was a very young boy. It is, I believe this. I don't really fit anybody's mold. I make everybody mad. I believe that when you repent, which means to fully surrender, you bow your knee to Jesus Christ, allowing him to change your morals, your finances, your speech, your thoughts. I mean, you're really giving him lordship. It's no game. You bow your knee. You repent of your independence and your selfishness and your rebellion to God. You, you, you make that choice. And then you put your arms around the cross of Jesus Christ and trust that he died for you. That, ever, that, that he alone, not anything you could ever do, is your righteousness. Right. By faith, not by works, not by what you could ever accomplish, but by what he did. So you hang on to that cross and say, Jesus, you are my righteousness. Put your righteousness over me. When you do that, you are righteous before God. You become regenerate. He takes out the heart of stone. He puts in a heart of flesh. His spirit is given to you without measure at that moment. But what God gives and what we receive, those are two different things. This Holy Spirit I'm talking about is not a vague thing. It's a person who comes, and when he comes, you're going to know it. You will know it. And when he comes, he's powerful, he's strong. He begins to, he changes you. So there are many Christians who have been given the gift, the package is there, the bow is on it, but they've never pulled the bow, opened the box, and taken it out and said, I receive it. He will not force himself on you. You must say, welcome, dear one. See, what he wants, you become a living temple. Your body, I mean, it says that. I'm not making this stuff up. He says he will live here. He wants to come and live literally, not in a, a temple of stones, but in his people. And so you say, I welcome you. Come in and dwell within me in my innermost being, my Lord. I invite you. I invite your power. I surrender to you, spirit of truth. I need you desperately. And so you welcome him. And when he comes, you'll know it. He'll release his gifts. One of the precious gifts he'll release is the gift of, of praying in another language. Don't be afraid of that. It is so beautiful. It's not automatic stuff. It's not scary. It's not weird. It's beautiful. You, you speak out, but suddenly you have a language you didn't learn. Your Holy, your Spirit, Bible says, prays to Him, bypassing your mind, pours out adoration and thanks and worship strengthens you and helps you and comforts you. And then it releases all these other things, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment, prophecy. You become a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. The radio comes on. It does. Don't, don't, say, don't say, well, I'm not one of those spiritual people. You're, you're as spirit as we are. N- nobody, nobody's less. He made, he made you and me in his image, right? And he's spirit. So you ultimately are spirit. You don't get one. You don't, you, don't, you don't try to be something. You are one. You happen to live in a body as much as any person in this room anywhere else. So you can move in the things of God. You can let his power. You can hear this voice. He, can, he will open the word to you. These are real promises. That's why Jesus could look at this, this frightened group of 11 And say, you guys are just lions. Go for it. You're going to get yourself in such trouble. (laughs) And they did. Every one of them died violently. Except for John. They tried to boil him and he didn't boil. Every one of them died for their Lord. Bold. Strong. After Pentecost. After Pentecost. That's what he saw. He saw Pentecost. And when he looks at you, he sees Pentecost. And what you are and, who I, and what we are. Full of the Holy Spirit. So I just invite you, I encourage you so much. If that hasn't been part of your life yet, I'll pray. we'll pray for you. We've got all kinds. Wednesday night we pray. Pray anywhere. You can have it. I minister this all the time all the time to people who said I have tried for 40 years and I said well let's let's go and they do you just can you just can you can move into this if you will Lord Jesus what a what a generous Lord you are you said you will ask the Father and you will, he will send the Spirit of Truth to us to guide us to teach us to remind us of you to testify to you. Oh, we love you. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit. Just if you're free to do that, would you say, come, Holy Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you say this? I welcome you to my innermost being. being. Dwell within me. Rivers of living water. water. Open my ears. ears. I I want to hear my Lord. Open my eyes. To see, to see the things of the Spirit. I give you all of me. All of me my hands to serve. My, my feet serve. to walk in your ways. In I, give you my lips, I give you my lips. To speak the word of the Lord. To, the the Lord, to, pray, in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit. To bring the word of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. I, am God, I am a child of God. Given everything. Given everything. I inherit with Christ. His inheritance. inheritance. In his name I declare this. this. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.